Good morning, everybody. All right. So this is a this is a book called The Dot. Do, do have any of you seen this book before? No. Excellent. So I'm reading this book because it's related to the Bible verse that we heard. And it's also related to the sermon I'm giving. And I'm going to talk to your parents about this book as well. Um, so everybody else should listen. <laughs> All right. So this is a little tricky to get this to everybody. So just let me know if you can see what's going on. So this book is called The Dot. It's by Peter Reynolds. So the first page is art class was over, but Vashti sat glued to her chair. Her paper was empty. So she was trying to be in art class, but she hadn't drawn anything yet. Vashti's teacher leaned over her blank paper. It's hard for me to read this. Ah, a polar bear in a snowstorm, she said. Very funny, said Vashti. I just can't draw. And I'm going to invite you all to think about times when you thought you couldn't do something. You've had that experience? Yeah. Her teacher smiled. Just make a mark and see where it makes, where it takes you. Vashti grabbed a marker and gave the paper a good, strong jab. There. Her teacher picked up the paper and studied it carefully. Hmm. She pushed the paper toward Vashti and quietly said, now sign it. And for those of you who can't see the picture, what it is is a dot on a piece of paper. Yeah, you see the dot? Yeah, all right. Vashti thought for a moment, well, maybe I can't draw, but I can sign my name. So she put her name on the paper. The next week, when Vashti walked into art class, she was surprised to see what was hanging above her teacher's desk. It was the little dot she had drawn, her dot, all framed in swirly gold. That's not a surprise. Hmm. I can make a better dot than that, she said. She opened her never-before-used set of watercolors and set to work. Vashti painted and painted. A yellow dot, a green dot, a red dot, a blue dot. The blue mixed with the red. She discovered that she could make a purple dot. Vashti kept experimenting. Lots of little dots in many colors. If I can make little dots, I can make big dots too. Vashti splashed her colors with a bigger brush on bigger paper to make bigger dots. Vashti even made a dot by not painting a dot. So, I don't know if you can see that, but there's the anti-dot. Yeah. At the school art show a few weeks later, Vashti's mini dots made quite a splash. All kinds of people are looking at those dots. And Vashti noticed a little boy gazing up at her. You're a really great artist. I wish I could draw, he said. I bet you can, said Vashti. Me? No, not me. I can't draw a straight line with a ruler. Vashti smiled. She handed the boy a blank sheet of paper. Show me. The boy's pencil shook as he draw, 
withdrew his line. Vashti stared at the boy's squiggle, and then she said, please sign it. All right, that's the end of the story, the dot. All right, we're back. I don't know where you cut out, but we're gonna start with the sermon now. And good morning again. Good morning again, everyone. Again, it is so great to be here. I just wanna do a couple of uh, notes of information about me. Um, uh, I'm Pastor Janet. I think you all know that. I will be ordained uh, on October 8th. Until that time, I am authorized by our bishop to preside over communion and to do all of the things that a pastor can do. The only thing that I can't do right now is wear the vestments of a pastor. So that's why I am dressed in this way. And then after October 8th, which would be on Sunday the 9th, you'll see uh, more colorful things going on. So we'll see. Maybe, you know. Um, so I hope you all enjoyed that book, The Dot. I like it. And it um, made sense for this, uh, for these set of texts for me. And I'll, I'm going to walk through why that is. I want to say grace and peace to you all this morning in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer. So here's what I'm going to talk to you about today. It's not going to be surprising because, as I just said, it's related to the discussion I just had on The Dot. So here it is. Uh, being stuck in our ideas about how things are going to go or about who people are or even who we are can prevent us from seeing the beauty in relationship with God. And it can prevent us from thriving in living into the work of God's kingdom. That's it. That's what I'm going to talk about. And this gospel lesson is pretty amazing. It has, it also has a couple of aspects that people struggle with. And maybe you noticed one of those uh, when I was reading the text. Um, and I just want to name those before I get into the content of the sermon. The first is that the description of the women's disability uses words that are experienced as harmful to some with disabilities. It's what's printed in the bulletin, but not what I read. And that's pretty painful. And the other thing it does in that part of it is that it creates an assumption that all people who have a disability want to be cured of that disability. And that is also not the case. So I don't want to imply that in anything that I'm saying. And I want to name that before I get moving. The second thing that people kind of bump on on this text is that the description of the response of the head of the synagogue creates an impression of the way Jewish theology was lived at that time and maybe now. It's implied that that's maybe how it is now too, as rigid and only based on rules. And uh, it turns out that most scholars would say that it wasn't as rigid as it's implied in this text. And in fact, uh, it's, it's really much more nuanced than that, both then and now. So, Starting with those two things, I wanted to offer two retellings of this story. They are imaginative retellings, so take them, take them as they are from the point of view of two of the characters in the story. The first is the, is the woman who was healed. 
And again, this is a possible way of hearing this story. Here's her voice. Just last week, I thought to myself, I live with a spirit that has made me weak and devastated. I can't lift my head to look at other people. I can't lift my head because I've been so crushed by this spirit. After 18 years, I don't think I'll ever be able to connect to people again. I'm so alone. In all the ways I normally go through my days, there's no way I will ever make a connection. And then this morning, I felt something. And after so long, I came near to the synagogue and stepped inside. Jesus came to me and touched me. And immediately I felt that I was connected to him and to all the people around him. It was beautiful to not feel alone and isolated anymore. It was beautiful to be a part of the community. Jesus truly is of God. So I'll let that settle in a little bit. And now we move to the leader of the synagogue. Again, in an alternate way, uh, perhaps his way, how he might write about this day. Jesus has been teaching on the Sabbath in our synagogue sometimes. He, he really helps to teach about the justice of God. Just yesterday, I was thinking about how much I like the Sabbath. It reminds me of that passage from Isaiah. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests or pursuing your own affairs, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor, Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. But I was also thinking about how I've heard he's trying to shake things up. He's got a bunch of rabble-rousers following him. And he kind of stretches the rules a bit. And maybe he's trying to be more than who he is. He's just a man like any other man. I don't even know if he's formally studied the readings. My colleagues and I have things set up perfectly to teach folks everything. We don't know, we don't need those kinds of disruptions. So today Jesus came to teach, but then in the middle of that, he broke out of the plan. He went right up to that woman who never would talk to me. It's just the kind of dramatic thing he does, drawing attention to him and away from me. I mean, away from God. Somehow he healed her, but it wasn't right to pull us out of what we need to do. And then everyone was on his side. I think both of these stories and my imaginary retellings of these, this gospel story point out the challenges that sometimes, we can, that sometimes we can, for good reasons, get into a pattern of fixed ideas. Fixed ideas, and this is where it relates to the dot, fixed ideas that our experience of life, not necessarily our circumstances, but how we experience life, can never be different. Or fixed ideas that someone is trying to do something bad and not being able to see other aspects of what they are doing. And it's also true, as in the dot, of fixed ideas about ourselves. 
And these fixed ideas can separate us from joy and separate us from God. In the example of the story, again, in my imagined retellings, these fixed ideas separate the woman from the joy of being connected to the people around her, which perhaps was possible even before Jesus was there. And the fixed ideas in the second story separate the synagogue leader from experiencing the joy of the Sabbath that he hoped for so much. He's not able to participate in the joy of Jesus' healing or the joy of the larger community because he's fixed on how Jesus is disrupting the way he wanted to lead the community. More broadly, having this kind of fixed approach, that is a belief that things will never change and a belief that people or even yourself are defined by the one thing we know about them, this kind of fixed approach can separate us from the joy that is living toward God's kingdom, living in God's love and living in God's grace, let alone how it impacts others. Okay, so we've gotten to part of what I said I was going to talk about. I'm just going to remind you what I said I was going to talk about, which was being stuck in our, idea, in our ideas for how things are going can prevent us from finding the beauty of relationship with God. That's what I've talked about. And the second part of that is, and it can prevent us from thriving in living into the work of God's kingdom. So let's start talking about that second part. And I'm going to turn to that reading from Hebrews. And oh my gosh, I had to read that a few times. I don't know, maybe it like made perfect sense to you all. But, um, but in, this, in this reading, we hear a section from a, what is a long sermon. Hebrews is basically a long sermon uh, to a people who are unknown by a writer who is unknown. But in it, we do, in this reading, we hear a little bit more about making ourselves open to the beauty of God's love and grace. So as we read through this, as I've already said, fairly dense passage, um, we hear a sequence that traces the differences between the tangible things that speak to the readers and the intangible things that speak to the readers. And in this, it's a constant uh, guide of us towards those intangibles, those long-term opportunities that are coming. And at the end of this, the writer comes to the point of saying that we who are open to God's words, so able to be open to Jesus' word coming to us in an intangible way, At that point, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We receive God's kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus points to. That kingdom is there in the midst of everything, in the midst of all that is going around. And the writer suggests that the listeners give thanks for that or offer gratitude. David De Silva writes of this point that an assumption in Hebrews and of the original audience was that costly gifts call forth costly response. He says that grace is connected to Christian discipleship and that the experience of God's favor is connected to the investment of one's whole self in responding. This isn't a new idea. It's very much an idea of Luther who wrote in Freedom of a, of a Christian that our faith and our experience of the gift of God's kingdom guides us into good action. All of one's works, a person should in this context be shaped 
by and contemplate this thought alone to serve and benefit others. That is the response of gratitude. So just to recap, as I'm finishing up, being stuck in our ideas, this is the same thing I said at the beginning, being stuck in our ideas for how things are going to go can prevent us from finding the beauty of relationship with God and can prevent us from thriving and living into the work of God's kingdom. And so to close, I want to remind you of what I said to the kids with a few additions from what has come since then. God wants all of us to thrive, all of God's people to thrive. Part of that for us is being open to all the possible gifts we might have, all the new things we might be able to do, and being open to connecting to God even in places you don't expect and with people you don't expect to give you that opportunity. When you do that, you help yourself, you connect to God, and you're able to respond to this connection. And that response is to help all of God's peoples thrive. Amen.